Hello, and welcome to Character Speaks, a podcast in partnership with Cosign Design to spotlight passionate character educators who are walking the talk. I'm your host, Barbara Gruner, and today we're visiting with Tammy McMorrow, a teacher, blogger, and author up in Idaho. Hey, Tammy, how are you today? I am fantastic. Good to be here. Thank you so much for carving out time this morning. I know you're probably eagerly and busily getting ready for back to school. Yes, I am. It's that time of year again. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how your journey brought you to today. I have been teaching first grade for 24 years in the same district. And um, when I'm not teaching I or thinking about teaching, I love to blog about it. So I have a blog called Forever and First and aptly named since I've been in that grade for my whole career. And I also last year wrote and published a book called Gatekeepers, Let's Talk About Teaching. And that's been an exciting adventure for me, for sure. Um, I also love to sing. I sing at church every Sunday. And uh, my cousin and I have made some CDs. I work out a lot. And I love to read. Oh, man, that sounds amazing. So a quarter of a century um, in education. And how have things changed in 24 years? Well, uh, I'm, I feel like every year I'm kind of figuring out what I'm doing. So I <laughs> right. for sure. And um, I, I know my strategies and my, my mindset have definitely changed. I think um, kids are kids, but I do think that more of them are are damaged maybe in ways that that maybe 24 years ago they weren't Mm -hmm. so I it requires um it requires some special skill sets for teachers these days I think and uh I'm reminded of uh what a professor in my master's told me he said that we need to teach to the heart as well as the head and I I feel like ever since he said that, I've been on a mission and an adventure to find new and better ways to do just that. So I feel like that's one of the ways that I've changed the most in the last 24 years is, is just realizing the importance of their hearts. And I feel like um, I feel like there are days when I teach more to their hearts than their heads. And uh, it's just a never ending quest that I'm on to, to be better at that. So I've either heard you say it or I read it somewhere. You have kind of a morning mantra at the Pledge of Allegiance time where you're kind of engaging with their hearts. Can you tell me about that? Yes. Um, what I'm reminded of what Peter Johnston of Choice Words says. He says that the words that teachers and their students use in the classroom is a big deal. And so over the years, I've come to the realization of the power of a classroom mantra. And I actually have several of them. And one of my favorites uh, came from a moment. Uh, I heard my pastor stand in front of us one Sunday and say, I'm surrounded by greatness. And I knew that there was some power right there in those words. So on the first day of school, I stood in front of my first graders and I said, 
I'm surrounded by greatness. And I could tell by the blank looks on their faces, they had no <laughs> idea what I was talking about. But I kept repeating it because that's what you do with mantras. And eventually it turned into you are full of greatness. And then when um, I had this kind of brilliant moment where I thought we need to make this, uh, I need to make this not my words, but theirs. So at the end of every pledge of allegiance that we say, we tag on these words, I am full of greatness. And uh, I just I love that sound. Um, we have a we have a day, I think it's maybe Veterans Day, where the whole school meets out on the uh, pavement in, the, uh, in front of the flag salute, and the whole school sets the flag salute together. And at the very end, my, my kid <laughs> saying, I am full of greatness. It just makes my heart happy. Um, I really hope that in 36 years, when these little six-year-olds, you know, are adults and, and doing their lives, that they, if they have the opportunity to say the Pledge of Allegiance or even hear it, I hope that they want to say, I am full of greatness because Miss Marl told me so. Oh, that is so amazing. And for them to actually feel it and embrace it, have you, have you heard it outside of, you just mentioned the pledge, but do you ever hear them saying it to one another? Yes, I, I think one of the highest compliments I can get as a teacher is when my words become. And uh, during the day when they have uh, free opportunities to write, and many of them will choose to write notes to each other, every so often I'll find one that says, um, Ellie, you are full of greatness. Love, Azalea. Oh, wow. And oh. I just... I just love that. Um, it just, it shows me that they're taking ownership. And these aren't just words that they hear Miss McMorrow say, but they're words that, that they're uh, believing with their hearts and have the power to use as well with other, with other people. So you've used it as an empowerment tool. I love that. Very much so. And in fact, um, this year I developed a, PD, a professional development for teachers and, and administrators about the power of a classroom mantra. And I've presented it several times in the last six months. And I think some people might find, what classroom mantra is? This is fluffy. Like, I don't have time for this. But I really believe that uh, an intentionally chosen phrase that's repeated and repeated and and strategically said at the right moments can change a student and not just change a student, but change a teacher. So I have several of these powerful classroom mantras that I just love using in my classroom. And I find that I'm gathering more every year. So it's, it's a real powerful tool that I really believe and I'm passionate about. Can you share one or two more of them? Because this is really intriguing to me. Yes. Like, one of the things I say on the first day of school, I stand in front of them after I say I'm surrounded by greatness. And I say, I loved you before you even showed up. And I, oh. say, it, I say it on the 30th day of school. And I say it on the 70th day of school. And I say it on the day after I come back from a poor guest teacher sub report. And I say it when a kid really messes up. And I, I say it not just for the kid, but I say it for me. Because sometimes I need to need to be reminded that I love yes. you. I love you, right? Um, another one I love to use is uh, "Listen to your heart." 
Like it will never let you down. Um, nice. I say kindness is more important than getting your own way. Um, and a lot of these are, as mantras should be, are repeatedly said. So I can start the first part of the phrase and the kids will finish the rest because they know it so well. Um, so there, there are several, but those are a few of my favorites. I love that you said you could start it and they could finish it. This last year, my mantra was judge less, love more. And I shared it with my AP because, you know, sometimes you're behind closed doors and you're going, what were they thinking? And so I would look at Wendy and say, judge less. And she would look at me and say, love more. And we made accountability buddies um, with one another because sometimes it was said in jest, but other times, like even when I didn't know I was being judgmental, really, and I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm thinking it's feedback or being a critical friend or whatever, Wendy would look at me and say, judge less. And so it became our mantra and not just my mantra. And there was so much power in that. I, I had no idea how judgmental I had become, and it was a personal gain, but then also helped for her to to embrace it and then to help me. And I completely agree, so much power in those little words with that strategic, like you said, set it strategically and then continue to put it in front of them. Right. And I do, I do believe it's not just about the kids, like your example portrays. It's about changing us as well. Um, One of my favorite mantra stories comes from my cousin, Lori, who teaches senior AP Lit. And on the first day of school, she tells them, I'm on your side. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And she uses it as a hashtag in all of her uh, school tweets. And she sprinkles it throughout her syllabus. And she's constantly saying it to kids, but then she lives it. And she tells the story of one morning sitting in church during announcements and someone had said something um, about some event. And she turned to the person next to her and said, now, what time is that thing tonight? And she realized that she, like adults, have the same issues that kids have when we're up at the front of the room or giving directions and the kid raised their hand and they ask the question that we just answered. She does the same thing as an adult. And she realized in that moment that she needed to be on her kid's side. So when Mm -hmm. a kid asks a question that she just answered, instead of doing what she would have normally previously done, like given a sarcastic answer or rolled her (laughs) eye or just said, I already said that. Find someone who was listening. (laughs) She responds with kindness. And she Mm. will repeat herself in the kindest way she can because she's on their side. And I just love that example of of the classroom mantra in a senior classroom. It applies to this idea applies to any grade level. And um, she has found that her kids will send her notes or emails or what have you saying you know, Ms. Roberts, I'm on your side. So she gets, she gets it back from her kids. Just like I hear my mantras coming back from mine. So it's just an amazing tool that I'm just so passionate about spreading the news about. 
I think every age and stage, you know, we somehow think that grownups are immune to this stuff that we use on kids. Um, one of my Twitter colleagues, Joshua Stamper, he's been a podcast guest as well. He posted something the other day that I thought could totally be a mantra. And so I'm using it with our new teachers on Monday. And it simply says, love to teach, teach to love. Mm. <laughs> oh man, you know, it kind of has that double meaning. And so I went ahead and put it on a card and I'm, that's, that's going to be my launch. I'm going to leave that with the new teachers because yeah, you know, we teach to love and, and keeping that in the forefront and imprinted on our hearts, I think is, is going to really help them. And, and it helps me too. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm kind of on a mission to collect stories about mantras and just in the back of my head, can I write a book about this someday? Cause I don't think the book has been written about classroom mantras. And so I don't know, that's just kind of in my dream world right now. It sounds like that could be your next book. I think I found your next book in something you wrote uh, about finding something beautiful in the room. Oh. Will, you, will you talk about that a little bit? Because that is such a promising practice. Yes. Um, so uh, an acquaintance of my cousin, Lori, on Facebook, he, I don't know if he still does it, but at one point he was known for posting three beautiful things on Facebook every day. And that kind of caught my eye. And I thought, well, I need to do that too in my classroom. So every day I search for and take pictures of three beautiful things. And they're always, they're always things that are, um, they're about character, about the kind and thoughtful things that kids are doing. They're not usually about academic things. They're about the heart. So I take three pictures and I post them on our class website every day and I will describe the three things. And then the next morning I will, I mean, I will, I will point out to the kids why I'm taking pictures throughout the day. They know that, but the next morning uh, we will pull up the class website and we'll review those three things because it's contagious. You know, when they see their picture up there doing something beautiful and kind, they want to replicate that. And so do other kids. And then partway through the year, I start putting the kids in charge of doing the same thing. So every day, a child will be in charge of writing down three beautiful things that they see. And then I will um, add their words to our class website as well. And I I just, I just love the idea that, that I, when I wake up in the morning, have the mindset that I'm looking for three beautiful things, even though the day might be hard or the year might be hard. Mm-hmm. Um, it changes the way I view my kids and my classroom that no matter what, I'm going to find three beautiful things and it's not always easy, but I'm going to do that. So it, it helps me get in the right mindset and I love what it does to the kids. It really does encourage them, um, to be, be great and that to do beautiful things and to be kind when it's not easy and, and all of that. So. It's one of my favorite practices that I've started in the last about four or five years. It sounds too like it's an amazing way to engage with social media because there's so much bad out there, but there's so much good too. And if you're teaching 
you know, these kiddos that I'm going to find the beauty and then post it and then we're going to do the same. Now you've modeled that digital citizenship. Sure, I definitely have. And and I also know that parents appreciate that the extra step I take to do it. Mm-hmm. Instead of just talking about the academic things that we do, they get to see how much hearts matter and how much we work on character and how important that is. I mean, the three beautiful things is the most important part of my whole class website. So I think it sends a really important message to parents about what I find important and obviously sends a message to kids about what I find important. Now, I was drawn to one of your character lessons, and I think it's because it piggybacked something that you had mm-hmm. seen on my blog. Can you talk about your respectacles lesson? Yes. Um, when I saw that you use, used a pair of glasses and the word respectacles to help kids um, learn about, understand, and view respect, I kind of ran with that idea. Um, so one day, <clears throat> I decided to get out a pair of glasses in my room that Normally, kids would just read with for fun, and they have no lenses in them, and they're kind of funky from the 80s. And um, and <laughs> we actually happened, wore those things. Yes, right? And the big hair. Um, what I ended up doing is after we learned about what respect is, and every child had some good context to fall back on, uh, I, I wore the glasses, the respectacles, and then... I would find someone in the room doing something respectful and I would name it and then pass off the respectacles to that person. And their job was to wear the respectacles to help them find respect in the room and um, find a moment where they saw respect happening, name it, pass off the respectacles. So by the end of the day, everyone had the opportunity to not only look for respect, but to uh, wear the respectacles, um, practice viewing and seeking out examples of it, of respect. And then I took it a step further by taking a picture of all of my kids wearing the respectacles and asking each one of them to give me an example of respect. And then I made their pictures and their words into a class book. So we'd have something concrete that would last the whole year to remind us what respect is. So the pictures love- were precious. Oh yes. They're they're sweet. These, you know, funky glasses on their little heads and um just a a great way to give them ownership of what respect means and what it looks like and um to give them a different lens. I think you know that concrete um example of putting the respectacles on kind of changes the way they were looking and seeking and seeing kids. So it was such a great lesson. And I'm just so glad that I was able to steal it from you. Very nice. I've actually seen it done with pipe cleaners as well. So the kids are making their own glasses out of pipe cleaners, whatever color they choose, whatever shape they want them. And then they've all got them on. And again, they're looking for Respect. How does it look? How does it sound? How does it feel? And I love the follow-up with the class book. That just kind of brings it full circle and, and, and something you can reflect back on and refer back to really all year long if you did this early on. Yeah, for sure. But I'm definitely going to have to do the um, uh, 
the pipe cleaner thing. That is an awesome idea. I love that. So they can take it home, share the idea with and the family. Theirs. And yeah, mm-hmm. and extend the idea beyond the classroom. That's awesome. Okay. So speaking of books, I want you to talk a bit about your book because I think your cousin Lori said it's not really just a book for teachers, but I think in the subtitle it was something about teachers. So help us understand that. Yeah. She says it's a not just a book for teachers, but a book for humans. Um, oh, I love which, that. Which I consider, a, a, I mean, I, that just blows my mind that she would even say that. Um, Cause I always feel bad when a non-teacher buys a copy. I just want to like, I'm embarrassed. Like, I hope you like this. <laughs> no, but, no, no. We're yeah. all teachers. <laughs> but people are able to find connections no matter if they're in the classroom or not. But um, I, I actually borrowed the part of the title from my hero, Regi Routman. She says that we need to be gatekeepers for sane and sensible practices. And so I borrowed that idea of the gatekeeper and stuck it in this title um, because it's called gatekeepers. Let's talk about teaching because so often as teachers, we're just bombarded with all kinds of mandates or this is what the teacher across the room is trying, or this is what I, the way I learned or what have you. It's just all this information is coming our way. And uh, we need to stand at the doors of our classrooms and be picky about what we allow in. And I just love that message. So that's what this book is about. It's about asking teachers to examine their wallpaper. That's actually a phrase from Donalyn Miller in The Book Whisperer. And I love the analogy of we need to look at the wallpaper because sometimes if um, if you're like me and you grew up in the house with the weird wallpaper on the walls from the 70s, after a while, you don't even see the wallpaper anymore. You don't even mm-hmm. recognize that it's out of date. And uh, And sometimes we have things on our walls, quote unquote, um, that we haven't even thought of. Like, why do I still do that? Why, why am I doing this or that, the other thing in my classroom? I need to examine what I'm doing. And I believe that gatekeepers is um, an opportunity for teachers to think more about that. So it's an exciting project and I'm really happy to share it with people and really bad about promoting myself. So I'm happy that you brought it up. Well, it's a beautiful treasury, just a collection of thoughts and reflections and insights, ideas and wisdom. And and so I hope that every teacher, any listener, I I feel like we're all teachers and caregivers, any listener would would search for that book and, and seek it out because it really just is a wealth of information and um, insights that we could all use. And I love the idea of examine your wallpaper. Wow. Yeah, that's a powerful thought. Just asking ourselves why all the time. Why am I doing this? Why? Yeah, what's my why? Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to go into self-care now because I do see our minutes ticking away. How do you care for Tammy? Hmm. Um, I I'm really good about knowing what I need and making sure I give myself what I need. So I need to be in bed on a school night between eight and nine o'clock. I'm probably asleep before my children are asleep <laughs> in my classroom. Um, and I'm also really good about not rushing myself in the mornings. And 
I give myself a lot of time in the morning before the rush of the day starts. And I spend time reading in my Bible and my devotional. I spend a little time reading in some kind of inspirational, be a better person kind of book. And I just feel like it takes time to get in the right mindset to be prepared to be at my best for the day. And I don't think I could do that if I'm running out the door at the last minute. So um, I live by myself. I don't have children to get ready or a husband. So it's kind of easy for me to do that. But I still feel like even if I weren't the only person living in my home, I would need to make uh, a concerted effort to make sure that I have time to prepare my head in the mornings. I think that's important. I also love to read. So I give myself lots of reading time. And um, this summer, I've already read about 45 books, which is kind of crazy, but um, it's just one of those things that feeds me and allows me to kind of escape from some of the craziness sometimes. So those are some of the ways that I take care of myself so that I can be at my best. I love the idea of the gift of time. And as you were explaining that, that just kind of washes over me a sense of calm because not having to rush, you know, we kind of get all like busy and we're like, oh, I'm so important. I'm so busy. I'm in a hurry. You know, That's not a thing. That's not being mindful and that's not self-compassionate to be, you know, running from pillar to post. So I love the idea of an early bedtime, the rest, and then the morning calm and devotional and relaxation must really set you up well for a great day. I think it does. Yeah. Because I know I wouldn't feel that way if I were running out the door at the last minute. There's just no way. So yeah. Yeah. So you have a new year ahead. Um, I think my final question is going to be, what are you hoping to celebrate at this time next year? Mm. Well, um, there's, I have like a million things going on in my head about what I'd like to be better at, uh, which is kind of scary. But (laughs) um, Christine Mraz, she's an author and kindergarten um, teacher and blogger from the East Coast. She talks about being a gas station instead of a tow truck. And I just love the analogy of Mm. filling up gas tanks um, instead of dragging kids along. And that's a constant struggle, finding the, the best ways to engage those who are not coming with me easily. So if I could this year, um, just continue to find ways to engage all students, all readers, all writers, all mathematicians, and fill their gas tanks instead of drag them along. I would be really, really happy because dragging doesn't do me any good and it doesn't do them good either. Well, that sounds like an amazing goal. I love that gas station versus tow truck. And tell us again who that author blogger is. That's Christine Mraz, M-R-A-Z. She's nice. amazing. 
Well, it sounds like our time is up. Will you tell, before we go, where readers can find you, your blog, your um, social media presence? Yes. Well, I'm on Facebook at Forever and First. Uh, I obviously have a blog by the same name. It's easy to find me. And I'm on Twitter. And my Twitter handle is just my name, Tammy McMorrow. My book can be found on Amazon or other online um, book sites. And yeah, I believe that that about covers it. I'm, I have a lot of soapboxes that I like to, <laughs> um, that I, I like to share my thoughts. So it's usually pretty easy to find me out there on, on the, if you Google me, you can find me and find what I think. So, yeah. And you're still blogging some? Yep. At Forever and First. Nice. And they can dig into the archives. Those Saturday sayings are always thought-provoking, insightful, and reflective. Tammy, I'd like to thank you so much for carving out time this morning for joining us um, on the podcast and pumping us up with some thoughts and ideas for this school year. I consider it a blessing to get to talk with you, Barbara. So thank you for having me. And then I'd like to remind my listeners that this podcast is supported by ProSign Design, a family-owned business dedicated to character, safety, and organization. Join us next week as we continue the conversation about character education, connections, and life. And if something spoke to you today, we would love for you to review our reflections. Until then, remember, character speaks.